The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. nice to locate her. I mean, we have an eight-year-old girl who's crying, looking for her mom. Mom won't call, mom won't make contact, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just, you have three kids who have shitty fathers who have no contact with them. And, you know, it's just, it's messed up. In the quiet little town of Reddick, Florida, things had taken a sinister turn when a dedicated mother of two failed to show up for a shift at the local iron skillet. It was the day after Valentine's Day, and Heather Strong never missed a day of work, at least not without calling. As days passed, Heather's absence only added to the mounting concerns of those who knew and loved her. Ten agonizing days later, a family member finally reported her missing. As the search began, investigators would eventually uncover a dark and unsettling truth, one that pointed to a dangerous love triangle at the heart of Heather's disappearance. Join me now as we take a journey into a dark corner of a small town and the tragic events that unfolded there. You'll hear a tale of love gone wrong and the disastrous consequences of jealousy, deception, and betrayal. A story that will leave you questioning the very nature of human relationships and the lengths people go to satisfy their desires. There's a familiar scene we've all seen played out time and time again in movies and TV. You've got your classic kingpin or head honcho of some criminal enterprise that gets thrown behind bars. But even in prison, he's still pulling the strings. And with his connections in the underworld, he's able to orchestrate a hit on the outside, using some unsuspecting henchmen to do his dirty work. And it's almost always for one of two reasons either to settle a score or to silence a potential witness. But that's just in the movies, right? It doesn't actually ever happen in the real world, or does it? Well, what if the person who's trying to hire the hitman isn't a well-connected criminal mastermind? Instead, he's just some average Joe. This was exactly the case back in the late 1990s for a man named David Vignales, who was trying to figure out the answer to that very question. From behind the cold steel bars of a jail cell in Marion County, Florida. After being arrested, David knew he was about to be sent away to prison for a long, long time. He also knew that eyewitness testimony was the only evidence that could be possibly used against him. That meant if he made the witnesses disappear, he could make the charges disappear. But in David's case, there wasn't just one witness willing to testify against him. There were three. His wife, his mother-in-law, 
and his teenage daughter, Amelia. You see, David wasn't a crime boss or a career criminal. He was an incestuous pedophile who'd been grooming and molesting his daughters for over a decade. And now, it looked like the whole family was willing to testify against him. Although David wasn't connected, he eventually found someone claiming to be willing to do the job. After giving the hitman detailed instructions, including exact directions to the bedrooms of his family members he wanted killed, David waited for the news that the job was done. But what David didn't realize was that the hitman was actually an undercover cop. Ultimately, he'd received a four-year sentence for attempting to solicit the murder of his own family, which seems unbelievably short. But justice has a way of balancing the scales, and in David's case, fate dealt the final blow. Instead of serving out his sentence, David passed away in prison before his time was up. The dark legacy David Vignali's left behind would cast a long and ominous shadow over his family's future that only grew darker with time. And as years passed, it would become clear that his daughter Amelia had inherited more from her father than just his DNA. Amelia had also inherited a chilling capacity for deception and violence as well, and ironically, eventually found herself contemplating a drastic and irreversible decision, one that would mirror one of her father's last actions. There was only one main difference. She'd succeed. Born in August 1983, Amelia was the middle sister of a trio of girls and an older brother. The family had settled in Boardman, a small and unassuming town tucked away in the tranquil surroundings of Marion County, a place where the pace of life moves a little slower and where locals exude a warmth and friendliness hard to come by. At just five years old, both Amelia's father and grandfather were accused of molesting her older sister, and all four children were removed from the home and placed into foster care. But after her father completed a court-ordered program, Amelia's mother took him back. Her oldest sister moved in with her grandmother, but incredibly, the rest of the children were returned back home, forced to live with a predator. And with her older sister now gone, Amelia became the new target of both her father and grandfather. Despite her incredible hardships, Amelia was an honor roll student with a superior IQ of 125 and a member of the Army ROTC. But by the time Amelia was in high school, she began to fear that her little sister was about to become the next target of her father's abuse. So she reported her suspicions to school authorities. After her father was arrested, he sat in jail awaiting trial. That's when he tried orchestrating his failed murder-for-hire plot. But the damage was already done. Amelia dropped out of school completely and bounced around between foster homes before becoming pregnant at 17. In the years that followed, Amelia got married, divorced, then had two more children with other men. And with every passing year, her hopes and dreams for a promising future began fading away. Still, Amelia was nothing if not determined. She enrolled in modeling classes, got her GED, 
and became a certified massage therapist. Around 2006, Amelia even found herself a good group of friends, gravitating to two people in particular, Josh Foljam and Heather Strong, a couple she seemed to have a lot in common with. Josh and Heather had been sweethearts since their teens and met while Heather was working as a waitress in Matheston, Mississippi. Heather was tall and striking, with a cheerful disposition, and had plenty of friends, whereas Josh was the quintessential bad boy with a tough exterior, the product of a difficult upbringing. Throughout his childhood, Josh was abused by her mother's boyfriend, suffered numerous head injuries, had to repeat multiple grades, and eventually was pulled out of school altogether. Josh's problems only compounded when he began using drugs at the age of 12, but it was the unexpected death of his grandmother that put a permanent chip on his shoulder. In a childhood filled with so much turmoil, she'd always been there for him, and then she was gone. Josh would later claim that this was the moment he gave up hope for everything. Josh turned to crime and was in and out of reformatory school for arson and burglary. In fact, it was just after being released for the second time when Josh met Heather at that restaurant. From the first moment he saw her, he thought Heather was perfect, and for the first time in a long time, Josh felt hope. But this isn't some scripted Hollywood tale where the bad boy magically turns his life around for a woman with a heart of gold. This was the real world, where things don't always have a happy ending. At 18 years old, Heather became pregnant with her first child, a daughter, and they were on the cusp of becoming a happy family of three. But just before Heather gave birth, Josh made a terrible mistake, one that would cost him for the rest of his life. Josh tried crystal meth, and from then on, he was completely hooked. Any chance they had of having a fairy tale family, quite literally, went up in smoke. Predictably, everything for Josh and Heather went downhill from there, and after that, their relationship was fraught with domestic violence, threats, drug dealing, meth cooking, encounters with police, cheating, breakups, makeups and every kind of drama. But something kept drawing Heather and Josh back together again. In 2003, Josh and Heather moved to Florida for a fresh start, settling in the town of Citra in Marin County, only 15 minutes from Broadman where Amelia Carr lived. And for a while, things were actually going pretty well. Both Josh and Heather were working on the straight and narrow and raising their child. So when Heather became pregnant again in 2006, their new baby was a happy welcome addition to their growing family. It was also around this time when Josh and Heather also grew their social circle, becoming friends with Amelia Carr. But it seems that history was doomed to repeat itself, just as drugs had been Josh's downfall during Heather's first pregnancy. It was Amelia who would be the downfall this time around. For many couples, the arrival of a newborn can bring a flurry of life changes. First, it's saying goodbye to uninterrupted nights of sleep. Then there's the round-the-clock diaper changes, 
followed by the endless cycle of feeding, burping, and cleaning. It's a time of immense joy, but also incredible exhaustion. And let's be honest, with a screaming baby and a shoulder covered in vomit, romance is probably the last thing on your mind. But apparently when it came to Josh, no one had given him the memo. He just couldn't seem to understand how his once sizzling sex life had suddenly come to a screeching halt. This was also around the time Josh and Heather's relationship headed toward a downward spiral, with Josh reverting back to his old abusive ways. He was drinking, smoking meth, and prone to hitting Heather whenever he was upset, which was becoming a more and more common occurrence. And just when it seemed like it couldn't get any worse, Josh received a phone call from Amelia out of the blue. A mutual friend had been killed in a car accident. The man was actually Josh's best friend, and for a time it dated Amelia. The shared loss caused Josh and Amelia to console each other, initially innocent, but soon their emotional support gradually developed into a clandestine romantic relationship. For Josh, he couldn't get enough of Amelia. To him, she was the sexual dynamo of his dreams. Nearly every day, Josh would find some excuse to leave Heather at home while he went and cheated on her with Amelia. Finally, after nearly a full year of his sneaking around, Heather got wise to Josh's infidelity and confronted him about it, then took the kids and left him, heading back to Mississippi in 2008. But Josh wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Two weeks later, Josh followed Heather back to Mississippi to win her back, and it worked, and then it ended again. After about five months in Mississippi, Josh and Heather split up again. This time, although they were broken up, they both moved to Florida, which is when Josh rekindled his relationship with Amelia. But his loyalties were divided, and when push came to shove, he was always willing to go back to Heather. Amelia, Josh, and Heather were caught in the middle of a complicated love triangle, and for a while at least, it was mostly amicable. Josh would later claim that for a few months, the three of them had formed a sort of polyamorous relationship. There were even rumors that Amelia and Heather had started having a secret affair of their own behind Josh's back. But eventually, Heather decided she'd had enough of Josh's roller coaster ride and decided to get off. She'd met another man, moved in with him, and it finally looked like she'd found a stable, healthy relationship for herself and her two children. Josh was livid and started stalking the couple, harassing them, calling to say he'd killed them both. In September 2008, Josh chased Heather's car through traffic and called her workplace threatening to kill her. He was obsessed. For her part, Amelia didn't seem to be all that perturbed by Josh's clear obsession with his ex. Instead, she moved in with Josh the second Heather had gone out the door. In November of 2008, Josh surprised Amelia by asking her to marry him, a dramatic gesture that sent her over the moon. She was elated and perhaps a bit relieved because she was already four months pregnant with Josh's baby. 
but Amelia's dream and vision for her future with Josh was about to be squashed because one month later, Heather decided she wanted Josh back. Instantly, Josh took back the ring from Amelia and kicked her to the curb, marrying Heather just days later, using the same ring he used to propose to Amelia with. But if you thought this might be the end to all the madness, you're wrong because Josh and Heather's honeymoon phase lasted a grand total of 10 days before Josh began threatening Heather with a shotgun. After Heather called police, Josh was arrested and charged with aggravated assault with a firearm. Heather then pawned the ring and then began seeing someone new, a man named James Acom, who also just happened to be one of Amelia's exes, and although it's not confirmed, presumably the father of one of her children. From jail, Josh attempted to do whatever he could to get out of the charges he was facing, including calling Heather and asking her to drop the charges. When his attempt to convince Heather didn't work, Josh called Amelia to see if she could convince Heather. But when Amelia went to Heather's to speak with her, she found out Heather and her ex James were already living together. According to James, Amelia and Heather got into a nasty argument in front of him about the charges against Josh, escalating to the point where Amelia grabbed Heather, held a knife to her throat, and made her demands. And apparently, the threat had worked, because Heather soon dropped the charges and never reported the incident to police. By February 9th, 2009, Josh was out of jail. Six days later, Heather didn't show up for work. Being the small town that it was, with a population of less than 500 people, the locals of Reddick, Florida tend to look out for each other. And so when Heather didn't show up for her second shift on February 15th, 2009, it didn't take long for the community to notice. Without telling a soul, Heather had seemingly vanished into thin air. Soon word got around that Heather must have just moved back to Mississippi to get away from Josh after he'd gotten out of jail. Even stranger was that Josh had a document signed by Heather giving him full custody. To many, it didn't make any sense. Heather loved her kids. She lived for them. But days passed and still no one heard a word from her. Finally, after 10 days, Heather's cousin reported her as a missing person. A deputy was dispatched to Heather's house and spoke with James Acom, the last person she'd been living with. He explained the last time he'd seen her was on February 15th. She'd come home between shifts around noon and was frantic about receiving a disturbing phone call from Josh. James then left the house, and Heather, as well as some of her belongings, were gone by the time he got home later that night. To everyone, it looked like maybe Heather simply decided to up and go. But on March 18th, detectives were alerted that Heather's bank accounts were still being accessed through an ATM. Naturally, they pulled up the surveillance footage to see if it was Heather. But there on the camera, using Heather's bank card, was Josh. That same day, Detectives arrived at Josh's place to speak with him, where he explained that the last time he saw Heather was on February 15th, when she called him. 
asking if he'd take the kids so she could think some things over. He claimed Heather had two suitcases with her and that he'd generously given her $500 before dropping her off at the petrol gas station so she could leave town. Detectives knew there was probably more to the story, and in fact, they already suspected Heather hadn't fled town under her own volition. As a way to get him down to the station for a formal interview, police arrested Josh on fraud charges for using Heather's bank card. It was time for an interrogation. By the time they arrived at the station, Amelia was also there, having been asked to come in voluntarily for an interview as well. She claimed she was ready to do anything she could to help find Heather. Having both Josh and Amelia at the police station at the same time was a gift for detectives. Heather had been missing for over a month, and now they had their two most likely suspects being interrogated at the same time. While Josh was in one room, Amelia was in the other, giving detectives complete control over what information was being disseminated between them. The perfect setup for a real-life prisoner's dilemma. The prisoner's dilemma is a classic thought experiment where two suspects are kept separate and interrogated. The best scenario for the suspects is to stay quiet and remain loyal to each other they might even get off completely scot-free. The worst-case scenario is for Suspect A to keep quiet, while Suspect B blames everything on Suspect A. The strategy for police is to convince each suspect that the other one is talking, causing both suspects to start talking in order to save their own skin, or, at the very least, take the other one down with them. But when it came to Josh and Amelia, there was no way to know for sure whether one would go down, both, or neither. Not until detectives spoke with them. Josh and Amelia had no clue how much of a disadvantage they were in. In fact, they were so confident that neither of them chose to have a lawyer present during any of their interrogations. The prisoner's dilemma was on. You're man. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm just boring. I'm locking up the floor more. Okay. I'm sorry, buddy. Thank you. And then you got back in your car. And I went back to the house. And when you left, she was right there at Petro. Standing up there at Petro. And you know there's video at Petro, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got cameras all around it. There's no video. Of what? Of, her, of Heather. At that Petro. On that date. All day. All night. Almost immediately, the detective interviewing Josh had poked a hole through one of his lies. Amelia was better prepared for her interrogation and attempted to paint herself in a flattering light, making sure detectives knew she had nothing to do with Heather's disappearance. Let me just get some understanding between you and Josh. Mm -hmm. How long have you guys been knowing each other? Um, August will be about two years. So you've known each other for about two years? Yeah. Some relationship between you, Josh, and, and Heather. They split up. Me and him tried a relationship. And then in December, he wanted to work things out for his kids' sake, and we parted ways. And we just agreed that when she came along, we'd have some kind of civil relationship. And, and it's hard when you got five kids between you, between different people. How many kids do you have? Three. You got three kids? Yeah. And then she has two. The two kids. Explain the relationship between you and her. 
There wasn't really ever one. We had a little bit of contact over the four months because she would, when she felt up to it, allow him to see his kids. So we had some kind of contact, but I usually got to, I'm going to kill you, you know, you're a bitch, you're a whore, blah, 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 because me and him had a relationship off and on for the two years, almost two years. Amelia made it a point to acknowledge the previous animosity between her and Heather, but she wanted to make it clear that they'd settled on more civil terms in the recent past. When was the last time you saw her? Um, a couple days after he went to jail because she asked me to babysit the kids for a few hours so she could go to work. And what? She asked you to babysit the kids? And I told her I wasn't too sure about it because we had an awkward kind of relationship. And she said, well, Mackenzie really likes you and she loves you and she'd rather you babysit him. So I was there for a few hours. And I was there for a few hours, babysat. She came home and Jamie came in right home. So you hadn't seen her since. What was the last time you saw her? That night I babysat, which was the Saturday after Josh got arrested. Okay. Have you and her ever got into it about anything? No. I've kept my distance. I mean, over the phone. But actual person to person, no. She could actually be pretty civil when we had to be. (laughs) Right. Despite Amelia's attempts to convince the detective she and Heather had been getting along, the detective was even more prepared for this interrogation than Amelia was. He'd caught her in a lie and now was ready to pounce. The relationship between you and her, I know for for a fact that you and her at least got into an argument one time. And clarify this now, Mm because I know for a fact that this happened. That when you guys got into that argument, you grabbed her by her her hair. You remember that? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Tell me about that. Who told you that? Because Tell me about that. That was the night I babysat. That we, she came in and we kind of talked a little bit. And I told her I had to go. She started arguing with me about not seeing Josh. And I told her I hadn't spoken to him since we split up in December. And said she was going to try to work things out with him. And that was it. And I told her I was leaving. Trust me, if I had put my hands on her. Tell me what happened by that. She would have had me in jail. Well, you put your hands on her because you grabbed a handful of her hair. So mm-hmm. tell, tell me about that incident. I didn't grab her. We were talking and we were kind of getting into a little bit of an argument. That's when I told Jamie, can we just go? As soon as Amelia mentioned James Acom, the detective decided to show her some more of his cards. He already knew the whole story. James had spilled the beans. Now, he just wanted to hear it from Amelia. So Jamie was there too? Yeah. Who else was there? At that time, it was just us three. And the kids were in the bedroom asleep. Just you guys three? Yeah. Okay. So, if you were there, Jamie was there, mm-hmm. and Heather was there, and I'm telling you that I know for a fact that something happened, where do you think I get that information from? From Jamie. Okay. Tell me about what happened. We were arguing because she wanted me and to keep happened? my distance. Another thing, I told Jamie, let's go. I don't want to be here. I have my son. You grabbed a handful of her hair, you grabbed a knife, and you put it to her throat. No, I didn't, because if I did, I'd be sitting in county. No, 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 no. You guys made a mutual agreement that nobody was going to call law enforcement. Nobody was going to do anything after you guys settled down. You need to be straight up and honest with me. 
Okay, well, okay. I'm telling you how to put my hands on her. No. She had me arrested. No, no. I'm telling you what happened. I'm asking you to be straight up. You're not going to get in trouble for that, but you don't need to sit up here and, and continue to but lie I'm to not. me. You are lying to me. Knowing about Amelia's violent confrontation with Heather wasn't the only major revelation the detective had for Amelia. He continued to make it obvious he knew more than she expected, starting with their love triangle. Listen, you two guys are sleeping with the same damn man, and you can't sit up here and sit up here and tell me that, oh, you, you guys had a, a amicable relationship. I never said he did. You didn't like her. She didn't like you. Okay, and I agreed okay. to babysit that night. Yes, you did agree to babysit that and night. And when we got into However, it, I chose to leave. you didn't want her, you don't want her in the picture because you know that Josh would go back to her. Josh would choose her over you any day. And I You know that back. for a fact. The detective just didn't know about the love triangle. He still had another card up his sleeve, and he was ready to play it. You got into a conversation with someone where you offered someone some money Oh. Yeah, I've heard this rumor. It's a rumor? Yeah. How does it more than one person know about it? Okay, well, what I'm telling you is, me and her got into it, and I asked to leave. Well, after that, there were rumors from Jamie, Jason, that I was supposedly trying to pay someone to get rid of her, this and that. I'm not going to stoop to that kind of a level over a man. I'm sorry. It's not worth it. I have three kids I've raised by myself. This is another one I can raise by myself. I wouldn't do that. Unbelievably, it looked like Amelia had taken a page from her own father's playbook, trying to hire a hitman, and it had equally disastrous results. Someone was present the day that you had that, and you just named two people that was present in a vehicle with you when you offered someone $500 Where would I to help I, sorry go ahead to help you get rid of Heather there's another conversation you had with someone you're soliciting to commit murder How that's serious and I got more than one person telling me that okay listen to me I got more than one person telling me that okay that don't look good for you this is your time Okay, because when we, we go get Josh, okay, it's either you or Josh. So you make your decision. Do you owe Josh that or do you owe your kids that? The detective's revelations to Amelia had certainly begun to rattle her. But for the time being, she was admitting nothing, doing her best to pass the prisoner's dilemma. Unfortunately for her, Josh had no way of knowing she'd been sticking to her story. So when detectives implied to him that she'd been cooperating, he started to feel the heat. What did Amelia tell you? Did she get to go home? Mm-hmm. Yes, she did. How come she got to go home and I can't? Maybe she was a little bit more honest. See how that works. This was it. The moment detectives had been waiting for. Josh had taken the bait and was now about to throw Amelia under the bus. I'm going to tell you what this is what I was told. Right here. I was told she was gone to leave it alone. That's what I was told, that she's gone to leave it alone. As soon as Josh made his first statement, indicating there was more to the story, 
the floodgates began to open. Once detectives had this statement from Josh, they immediately went to work on Amelia using the same tactic. Josh was talking and they could prove it to her. That's when they played her the recording. What is he saying I did? That you set it up. Set what up though? I mean, because all I heard him say was that I didn't even hear him say where he left her, at what house. No, 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 no. Listen See, to Listen, listen here. Okay. You're trying to backpedal on it. No, I'm trying to. I didn't really hear. Okay. I'm telling you that he said that you told him that you guys took care of Heather and for him not to worry about her anymore. I'm telling you right now, your boyfriend has thrown you under, under, under the bus. He's admitted that he is involved in this and knows about it. Okay? <laughs> and that you know about it. So he's a flat-out liar if he's trying to involve you in, in her death. Yeah. And, you know, that's got me really upset right now because I have kids I have to take care of. I've done it on my own. Why am I going to risk throwing my life away over someone who we were just screwing around off and on for two years? Amelia was confused and angry, but Josh believed that by blaming everything on Amelia, he had a clear path to freedom, and he ran straight for it. I don't know where she's at, man. I don't. I just want to sleep and so, get up. So you telling me Amelia knows, she knows everything? I say she knows more about the shit than I do. You're telling me she never asked you, if she was going to do it, she never asked you what was the best way to do it? She never asked you where's the best place to be. Man, I ain't a fucking murderer, man. I don't know what the best way to kill people and get rid of them and shit. When faced with the opportunity to stick together or fall apart, Josh crumbled under the pressure. By the end of his interrogation, Josh was tired, upset, and desperately wanted a cigarette, and he finally cracked. He told the truth about what had happened to Heather. You let me take that by my mama if I take you to uh-huh. We'll go right now. You take me to where Heather is, I'll take your wallet to your mom. You won't take me by and let me talk to mom? You take me to Heather first. And you talk me by my mom? That's a promise. Josh and the detective shook hands, and Josh led authorities to Amelia's mother's home. Behind it, they found a shallow grave, Heather Strong's final resting place. True to his word, detectives allowed Josh to say goodbye to his mother and children before taking him to jail for Heather's murder. Josh finally came clean about what had really happened to Heather, or at least his version of events, as close enough to what the evidence suggested that it satisfied detectives. Josh explained that he'd lured Heather to the storage trailer on Amelia's mother's property. Under the ruse, they were going to steal $1,700 in cash from her. He said the real plan was for him to get Heather into the trailer and then he and Amelia would force her to sign over custody of the children to Josh. But at some point, Heather tried escaping and broke a pane of glass with her head in the process. That's when Amelia, seven months pregnant, emerged from the shadows. Whether what happened next was the plan all along or just a tragic escalation, only Josh and Amelia know for certain. One of them hit her on the head with a flashlight and then forced Heather into a chair, duct-taping her in place. Next, Amelia tried snapping Heather's neck, but couldn't. 
In the end, one of them put a plastic bag over her head and wrapped tape around it over and over again. Then they waited for her to stop breathing. It took nearly half an hour. When they were certain Heather was dead, they stuffed her body into a suitcase and the next day buried her in Amelia's mother's yard. Josh's confession was cold, brutal, and placed all the blame for the actual murder on Amelia. She started down the hall. Amelia, that's going to be here. She went back and went into that window with her hand. When she did, I grabbed her and I put her in the chair. And I held her down on the chair. Was she fighting then? Well, she really couldn't, man. I was, my big old ass to her little bitty self. The adrenaline was flowing. And I just held her. I made a taper. She had her arm around her neck. She was trying to snap her neck. She had one, this hand right here was coming over her head, holding her nose. And where were you? I was still sitting on her. And once I knew that Heather had got weak, I could tell she was getting weak because she was just like, then, nothing. Detectives had Heather's body and a confession from Josh, but now, Amelia was singing a different tune. She was now willing to admit to knowing about the murder, but blamed it all on Josh, claiming she was nothing more than another one of his terrified victims. I come across Heather. Where? Duct taped to the little blue chair. In the in the trail. In the trail. And I freak out. I check her pulse. I'm looking to see if she's breathing. And I'm just checking. And I walked out. And he was there later that afternoon. I asked him, what the hell did you do? He told me that in the middle of the night, after we were in bed, he brought her there. And I guess he told her that he knew where I had money stashed to get her to go back there. And that he basically, he hit her upside the head with something and she was trying to leave and she broke the window and he left her there because he didn't know what to do with her, how to dispose of her. And I told him, I want nothing to do with this, get her the hell off my mom's property. At this point, detectives had no actual evidence other than Josh's word that Amelia had anything to do with Heather's murder. But that didn't mean they believed she was innocent. Instead, they decided to give her enough rope to hang herself. They released Amelia and put another plan into action. And for this plan, they had a secret weapon, Josh's sister. The plan was simple. Josh's sister would wear a wire and take Amelia for a drive. Maybe she could coax a confession out of Amelia. It was worth a shot. And so on March 24th, 2009, they put their plan into action. It's just a mess of me. I mean, it's breaking my heart. He shouldn't be in there. And I'm telling you right now, I want the true story from you. You got to tell me the truth so I can help you. And Josh, man, please tell me your side. What did he tell me? And did he tell you over the forty pounds? No. Please tell him just keep his mouth shut and to keep his head up because everything's going to be okay. I don't know when. But he's got to stop talking to them. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I hadn't ate since Wednesday. So I want detail. I don't know if he would hear it and show 
Amelia, it would be better. It would be better knowing than not knowing. We tried to snap her neck. That didn't work. You did. He didn't see any other way out, so. I mean, how many more times was he going to. But why, but why would you. Why would you try to break her neck? That's going to be quick and painless. With what Amelia had said on the wire, detectives had everything they needed, and they swooped in and made an arrest. But is that right that you were there with Josh when Heather took her last breath? I can't hear you. Yeah. So far, the only thing you've done here is tried to save your own behind, even though you killed a woman. I didn't kill her. Yes, you did. Then tell me what happened. Because Josh says you did it. After you tried to break her neck and couldn't do it, you killed her. I did not kill her. Show, show me something different then. Because Josh has been telling us the truth for several days. He wasn't himself to take a blood. He was not. You were not either. I was scared. Was anyone stopping you from running out that door? Fear? Was anyone stopping you from running out that door? Fear, but I guess that doesn't count, huh? No, it does not, sweetheart. I'm sorry. Detectives pushed the idea that Amelia could have left the situation at any time, but chose not to. They didn't buy for a second that it was because she was afraid. It was because she was a willing participant in the murder. Do you not see why I'd be scared to tell you the truth? There's no need to be afraid of Josh. Josh has never beaten you. Josh has no history of beating you. No, and Josh is in jail you? right now. But until that night... Do you not see why after that night I would be scared to go against him? Okay, but Josh told us that y'all had talked about doing something We've like never this. talked about he anything said like this. Y'all had never planned it fully. Fear is not an issue with you. What do you mean? Fear has never been an issue with you. You have never been afraid of Josh before or after you guys took someone's life. Afraid he might leave you. No, I wasn't afraid of him leaving because I loved him. I left him. You understand me? Fear was not an issue. I was afraid to go against him. Uh, you just told me that you tried to break her neck. Because that, he that's told attempted me to. murder. That's what you told me. Is that is that not what you told me? Yes. What I did was attempted murder. Correct? Because he told me to. But that's what you that, is that not what you said? I tried to break her neck, but I couldn't. Detectives began laying the pressure on Amelia, forcing her to confront exactly what had happened and all the ways she chose not to help Heather in her final moments. They made sure Amelia knew that even if she wasn't the one who ended Heather's life, she still stood by and allowed it to happen. You don't think you deserve this? No, I don't. <laughs> I really didn't. So, so he calls you, whether whether you think he was joking or not, he calls you and says, I'm on the way there, wait till we're in there a couple minutes and come back. And you know exactly what that means. You know exactly what it's going to lead to. And you made no attempt to stop him, talk him out of it, or call the police. You went out there, 
She tries to get away. She's trying to escape because she sees what's coming. She's struggling, and you help him imprison her, keep her. You, you, you help him do all the things that he needs to do, knowing what's about to happen. He asks you to kill her, and whether you tried real hard or whether you didn't try real hard, you make an attempt so that she, so that it will be quick and painless, and she can be put out of her misery. And when you're unable to do it, whether you were not strong enough or whether you didn't have the willpower, you step away so that he can take his turn. You watch it happen. At no time have you told us that you tried to stop him. You tried to talk him out of it. You tried to say, you know what? There was no, if you weren't there, that is why. I wasn't there. If you were there. You were. Amelia was steadfast in her refusal to accept any part of the blame in Heather's murder. There was no... Was there like, was time before he got there. You could have picked up the phone. I honestly oh, didn't think he was. Let's so let's not do this. This isn't a good idea. You could have said, uh, Sheriff's Department. I think I've gotten in deep, but I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't want this girl to lose her life. I don't want these children to lose their money. There was, and, and all these things I'm saying to you, you helped put her underneath the table for a day, maybe two days. I didn't help do any of it. I just knew that he did it. You you he come outside to see if the hole's deep enough. He's about to bury her in. You, you watch her being buried, you help cover Can her up. Watch, I don't make so. Did you jump in the hole? No. No, that's sick. All these things, and what what do you think that you are guilty of? Then? I know I'm guilty. What do, you, what do you think would be appropriate? But I just wish that you would take into consideration that I was fucking scared. Tell me what you think you're guilty of. Something wrong. I'm sorry? Of being a monster? And helping a monster. I, I didn't understand. Helping. Oh, helping a monster. Meanwhile, Josh told investigators that he tried to hang himself with a pair of pants after finding out his children had been taken from his mother's home and placed into foster care. He said he felt he deserved to receive the death penalty for what he'd done to Heather and called his mother in tears to confess his crime. It appeared that Josh was ready to take responsibility for his actions, but Amelia stood firm that she was not to blame. Towards the end of March, while in jail for Heather's murder, Amelia gave birth to her fourth child. The baby girl was never in Amelia's custody. Instead, being quickly taken and put up for adoption, while the rest of her children sat in foster care. Amelia's case was the first to go to trial. Facing charges of kidnapping and first-degree murder, she pled not guilty and rolled the dice with a jury instead of taking a deal, even though the death penalty was on the table. Amelia claimed she played no part in Heather's murder and there was zero physical evidence to prove it but her recorded confessions were impossible for the jury to ignore. On December 7th, 2010, after just two hours of deliberation, Amelia Carr was found guilty on both counts. The jury then voted on whether she should receive the death penalty. In a vote of seven to five, they recommended death, and Amelia was sentenced in February of 2011. In Josh's trial in 2012, 
He expressed remorse for the part he played in Heather's death, but ultimately pinned the actual act of the murder on Amelia. The defense cast all the blame on her for manipulating him with her superior intelligence, and considerable evidence was introduced that Amelia was the mastermind behind the murder plot. The jury deliberated and returned with their verdict, guilty of kidnapping, guilty of first-degree murder. But this time, the jury recommended a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole, the same crime to entirely different outcomes. Fortunately for Amelia, she was resentenced in 2017 to life in prison without parole because her jury hadn't been unanimous in its decision to recommend the death penalty. To this day, she continues to proclaim her innocence. Joshua Fulgham and Amelia Carr both suffered abusive, traumatic childhoods that warped their perceptions of the world around them. While Josh chose to perpetrate the violent behavior he learned as a child, Amelia seemed to be constantly searching for someone who would finally love her. When Heather Strong became the target of Josh's abuse and the rival for Amelia's affection, she became the obsession for two people that only possessed a sick, perverted understanding of love. No matter how hard she tried, Heather couldn't escape them and ultimately lost her life in a senseless act of rage-filled brutality. So many hearts were broken when Heather was murdered, namely all six children between the couples. As a result of Josh's conviction and subsequent events, his and Heather's two children had to navigate the foster system before being adopted. Similarly, Amelia's four children also had to face the difficult reality of being adopted or placed into foster care. It's heart-wrenching to think of these children having to grow up without the loving guidance of their biological parents. However, there's hope that perhaps this turn of events could offer a chance for a brighter future, free from the cycle of trauma that Josh and Amelia were unable to break. Follow the Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also, by checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>